following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I was putting this one puzzle together with my kids, and it was a brand new box. And when you open it up, you're starting to slowly see what the big picture is. Pretty soon, you're developing the big picture. Um, The thing about it is there's this great anticipation as you're getting all the pieces together and you're finding where they go. It's starting to make a clearer picture. It's becoming more and more realistic. And the problem with this particular puzzle is we were basically all done down to the last piece when we realized there's a piece missing. Now, I don't know if you've ever put a puzzle together with a piece missing, but it's kind of a worthless puzzle. I mean, you can't do anything with a piece missing. I mean, what are you going to put it back in the box and put it together some other day, it's got a missing piece. And what are you going to do? Call the factory and say, hey, I'm missing a piece. They're going to ask you, which piece are you missing? I don't know. They all look the same. Where is it? I don't know. It's one of the middle pieces. I don't know. I'm missing a piece. What do you do with a missing piece of the puzzle? I'd say the, the first start is trying to identify what the missing piece of the puzzle is. I'd say it's the same way in lives like yours and mine and others' lives. Uh, We all have this puzzle, so to speak. And sometimes we have these missing pieces in in the puzzle. We're trying to get the big picture together, but there's a missing piece. And um, I think I'm qualified to speak on this because I was one of those people who was going through life with some missing pieces. Maybe you would say the same thing. Trying to discover what those missing pieces are. Uh, I want to talk to you today not about missing pieces of a puzzle, but the missing pieces of a person. And um, what happens, we tend to go on this journey, and like others, we're trying to discover the big picture, and there's anticipation of what the big picture is going to look like. But unfortunately, sometimes we have some missing pieces and we don't identify what those are. Uh, For me, I was trying to discover those in all the wrong ways. Um, I wasn't discovering them for a while. My story is I I moved out at 16 years old, and I ended up uh, working and playing in rock bands and trying to pursue that and building fast cars and boats and, you know, trucks and motorcycles, thinking that's going to be an answer. That wasn't. At 16, I started for the first time diving out of airplanes, uh, thinking that the rush would maybe be the answer. Uh, That wasn't. Um, uh, I had my first condo at 19 years old, thought, hey, maybe this is some of the answer. It wasn't. By 24, I had a four-bedroom house with a pool and jacuzzi, thinking, hey, we're on on the road here. Uh, Did any of this resolve the missing piece in my life? No, absolutely not. And I was a little confused because I was running fast and running hard, figuring I'm going to discover at some point here what the missing piece is. And unfortunately, I was not discovering the missing piece. But what I I started to realize is, for me, the missing piece was peace. P-E-A-C-E, peace. I realized I had stuff in my life, but I didn't have peace. And I didn't know why. So I started a journey. I started a quest to discover the missing piece in my life, literally. And that quest led me to Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. That's how we know Jesus, as the Prince of Peace. He was the missing piece in my life. I want to talk to you this morning as we continue through our series in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 5. And I want to talk about missing pieces. Um, These are missing pieces for those outside the faith, but they're also sometimes missing pieces for those who are in the faith. The point about missing pieces is if you don't discover it's a missing piece, 
you'll never find uh, the missing piece. And to set this story up, if you want to follow along, Romans chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, by the way, this is in the bulletin. And there's a place to take notes. We're discovering some, some of the missing pieces, some of the major missing pieces that are presented in this chapter. Paul is writing to the Roman church and they are Jewish and Gentile believers in this church. He's writing this letter and he's telling them this is how we're right before God. And he's been using this term called justification. How what Jesus did for us puts us in a different position with God. And so no matter what our past was, our present and our future can be totally different because of what Jesus did. Now that's how this has been set up for the first four chapters. And we're going to begin in uh, verse 1 of chapter 5, if you can follow along with me. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This starts out saying that this peace is available through Jesus, but the reality is there's many people trying to find peace in their life. For some people, they know it's a missing piece of their life. So they're literally looking for peace. And in their quest to find peace, it's interesting what people do. Some people actually go on a quest. They actually go looking to pursue peace. That's what some folks do. But other folks, they don't pursue peace. You know what others do? Others actually try to escape from the things that they think are taking away their peace. Isn't that interesting? Some are on a pursuit to find peace. Others, they have a way of checking out from anything that causes disruption or anything like that. And it's really an escape. It's not finding peace. It's not a pursuit of peace. It's escaping from things. There's different ways that we approach uh, this reality of peace. What I discovered, because I was one of those people, I tried different methods of pursuing peace. And maybe you have the same story today where you were either pursuing peace or escaping from everything that was robbing peace. Some people escape, some people medicate, some people are workaholics, some people, I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do that are methods of escaping rather than pursuing peace. But, but many of us do those things. This is what I discovered. I discovered you cannot have peace with yourself unless you first have peace with God. You can't. It's a contradiction. And in my life, I was trying to find peace and have peace with myself, but I couldn't. It was impossible because I didn't first have peace with God. And that's the first uh, thing to note this morning. If you're a note taker, uh, on these missing pieces in our lives, in the lives of others and people we love, we care about, friends, neighbors, maybe you share the same story. But the first missing piece is the missing piece of being at peace with God. If you're not at peace with God, you'll never be at peace with yourself. And some people are going through life in pursuit or escape of all sorts of things, thinking that somehow they're going to find and discover a zone of peace. And they never do. They never do. They find temporary fixes or band-aids or temporary relief from things, but they never find peace. Why? Because they never obtain peace with God. You know, it's interesting. You see those movies 
when someone's in their final hours and they're being walked to, uh, you know, the firing squad or whatever it is, and they say, you want to make peace with God. They know like like this last moment of their life to make peace with God. The reality is life goes way better when you make peace with God early on. Because when you make peace with God early on, then you can have peace with God and peace with yourself. It's an important thing to discover. Um, Another reason why this is so important is the Bible has told us so far in Romans something very clear, that we all fall short. Every one of us, we all sin, we fall short. We can call it mistakes, we can call it shortcomings, we can call it personality, styles. You know, we got all these terms that we come up with. Bible calls it sin. We all sin and fall short, but the reality is this. There's a term in the Bible called transgression. And that, that's the term that when you and I are aiming for the mark, but we miss the mark, when we fall short of the mark, when we step over the line, which we all do, we end up stepping off God's path and we end up having this transgression, this iniquity is what the Bible calls it. And that's like stepping off the path and falling in the mud. And although we're trying to get back on God's path, we still have the mud on us, right? The, the reality is we all do this in life. Everyone in life has iniquity where we step off the path and it results in, in guilt and shame. We have these guilts and shames in our lives. Some folks try to ignore them or, or not even discuss them or justify them, but we all do. And the reality is this, when Jesus justifies us, because it says we're justified by faith, he takes away all guilt, all shame, and he makes the way for peace. The reality is there is no way that that stuff can go away. You can never have peace with yourself, with the realities and the burdens of life and the things that we do and have done. And when we come to terms with it, Jesus, when he justifies us, makes the way for peace. Jesus is in fact our peacemaker. That's why he's the Prince of Peace. He's the one who justifies us through what he did on the cross. Isaiah 9, 6 says, Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be, and it gives a list of names, Prince of Peace. If you're not familiar with that, you'll be getting a Christmas card real soon with that listed on there. He's the Prince of Peace. He goes on in John 14, 27. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. He goes on to say, I don't give peace like the world gives. The world tries to give some form of peace. It's not the real deal. Jesus is like, I am the Prince of Peace. I give you peace. So the reality is through what Jesus did, through this justification, we can actually have peace with God and therefore have peace with ourselves and peace with others. It's such an important missing peace in the life of so many people. They're missing this peace. They're missing this component and they have no idea why things are going or how they feel like they do or why they're either escaping or medicating or doing whatever they're doing, trying all these different quests in life, mad pursuits, but not ending up with the peace of God or peace with themselves. So that's really cool that we have peace with God. Here's here's an interesting thing. Sometimes we have peace with God and peace with ourselves until, until we're in a trial. Can I get any show of hands, right? Amen. Everything was fine. We do. We got peace with God. It's completely legit. And we got peace with ourselves until there's a trial. Boom. Now we don't have peace anymore. So there was peace and the peace is gone. Here's an interesting next step. This next step also, guys, is an enormous missing piece of the puzzle when you're discovering the big picture in life. The passage also says that we don't only have peace. It says that we have gained access 
by faith. Now think about this for a minute. We have gained access. You and I have access literally to God Almighty, creator of the universe. That is a pretty profound reality when you think about that. If you tell a non-believing friend you have, did you happen to know that I have access to the creator of the universe? They'd be like, what? Seriously? Yes, absolutely. I have access to the king of all kings. See, most of the planet doesn't even know that's obtainable. Do you realize that? Most people don't even know that can be a reality to have access. But the word is telling us that we have access by faith to the throne of God Almighty. That's an enormous missing piece in the lives of so many people. Um, Without being justified, guys, what Jesus did, we cannot even come into God's presence. But because we are justified, because he forgives, because he takes away sins, it doesn't mean that we're just forgiven. There's even deeper things. We get this benefit, guys, of direct access. I mean, think about that for a moment. The Israelites didn't have direct access. The high priest once a year got to go into the presence of God. Nobody else. Why? Because no one was justified in the Old Testament. No one was in a position to have direct access to God. But you and I, because of what he did, actually have access. I'm blown away with that. We have direct access to the presence and person of the living God. Very powerful stuff. It's the kind of deal where you and I, we don't need to like schedule an appointment. You know, if you were going to see some big, powerful CEO, you'd have to like try to arrange it. God Almighty, you don't need to schedule an appointment anytime, any place, anywhere. You have direct access to the Most High God. That's a profound reality of our new position in Christ. And also, we don't have to be timid. Here's an interesting thing. Some folks don't know how to approach God or they're not really sure and they kind of walk out there like they're testing the ice, like, I don't know, but here goes. The Bible says because of what Jesus did, because it changes our position, changes our present and changes our future, because we're justified, the reality is this, guys, he didn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly, boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and listen to this, find grace and help in the time of need in the time of need. You see, we had the peace, but in the trial, the peace is gone, right? Isn't that what happens? We have access, guys. This is a missing piece of the puzzle in the lives of even believers. We have direct access to the Most High God. And if we can come boldly to the throne of grace in our time of need, it says we're going to find grace. That's a reality. That's a piece of the puzzle that even believers don't tap into. I have peace with God, but this trial is overwhelming right now. And all of a sudden, don't have peace with God. And somehow we're in a different category. They're in a different position because, well, God, you see all this and it's stuck and it's broken and nothing's happening and and then the peace is gone. This is telling us, guys, we don't only have peace, we have access. Peace and access. Access is huge. Other generations prior to the resurrected Jesus couldn't even make that statement. But there's even believers today that forget about this peace. And they're missing a peace in their life. And the missing peace, our second point this morning, is the missing peace of direct access to God. Direct access. 
There's folks going through life that don't really know they have direct access. I mean, maybe in theory they think they might, but they don't know they do, and they don't exercise that access. But when you start to actually walk and begin to practice your direct access, it really changes everything. The picture is a lot clearer, the missing pieces go away, and we become more of, uh, the Bible says we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. God's doing a master plan. He's doing a masterpiece. And kind of like that puzzle I was talking about earlier, there are missing pieces. The main one is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. But after that, even believers have some missing pieces because they don't discover some of these realities. And Paul's writing to this Roman church, including all of this stuff. He goes on in verse 3 and he mentions a word that we don't like. He mentions times of suffering. And we're like, oh great, suffering. I mean, no one likes suffering. In fact, suffering is like a bad word. Oh, suffering. Oh, man. Uh, In the Bible, suffering is not starving out in the middle of a desert, okay, and running out of water. It's not that kind of suffering. It's a tension, a trial, where you're being pressed down and you're being stretched in your faith. That's the kind of suffering. That's the kind of trial the Bible's talking about. And the Bible's telling us something about this. It's uh, not only is life full of trials, but... But these are realities, this suffering. When suffering happens, because it is a fact of life, for everyone alive, suffering is a reality. There's no escaping trials and pressures and our faith being stretched. Some can either embrace the trial or some can get angry and blame others. Um, We can either say, okay, God, you see the trial, I'm in it. Let me do well in this trial because, Father, you're watching me. Or we can just ignore that part and just blame other people and and get all angry about the trial. But here's the thing about this. Suffering, I think, needs to be embraced. And it needs to be embraced for a reason. Because there's a purpose in it. And there's a divine purpose in suffering. And we don't talk about it much because it's not a real popular, you know, most people, when you think of suffering, wouldn't say, thank you, sir, can I have another You know, no, you're not in line for suffering. No one's standing in line for more suffering. But the reality is there is purpose in suffering. And it tells us to rejoice in our suffering. And you're thinking, how can I actually rejoice in suffering? Nobody likes suffering. Nobody wants. How how am I supposed to really rejoice in suffering? I mean, theologically, that might be a good concept. But realistically, come on, how do I rejoice in my suffering? Valid question, right? Here's the answer, guys, and this, there's so much that hinges on this. It's another big missing piece. The Bible says people die for lack of knowledge. There's a huge reality in terms of suffering, what it is and what it's not, and what it's supposed to do and what it's not supposed to do. We don't always understand this. It's a missing piece. How can you rejoice in suffering? Only if you understand what suffering actually brings. If you really understand what suffering brings then you can rejoice in it. But if you don't understand what it brings, we just get mad and angry about it and we don't want to go through any of it. We kind of shut down. The Bible is telling us that suffering actually produces things. In fact, suffering produces things that nothing else in your life can produce. You can take all the courses in the world, read all the books, listen to sermons, do all these things. Suffering produces an aspect of life that nothing else can produce. You've heard of people going through the school of hard knocks, right? There's something about the lessons along the way. And there's something about those pressure moments in life where you feel like you're being pressed in on all sides. There's something about those times that can develop 
things in you and through you that could not be developed any other way. It's almost like the crushing of grapes to make a wine. Uh, It's almost like turning up the furnace to purify gold. There's nothing else that can do it. And in this case, it tells us what it produces. It produces perseverance, character, and hope. Perseverance, character, and hope. Why is that important? There are many believers who start well but don't finish well. Why? Because they didn't develop perseverance, character, and hope. If you allow your sufferings to develop perseverance, character, and hope, you will be a light to others and you will finish well. If we don't, if we just get angry, if we just blame others, if we just shut down when we're going through suffering, we'll never develop the perseverance and the character and the hope. We can't have it any other way. This is how it, this is the outflow. This is where it comes from. And there will be many who never even know what sufferings can bring unless they actually endure some suffering. So it's an important part. Here's what God also says in the context of suffering. We're like, great, suffering. You know, who wants to go through that? I mean, suffering's painful. No one likes it. But in the context of suffering, this is what the word is telling us in this passage. It says that God has given us his Holy Spirit in our hearts. This is huge. This is right in the context, in the framework of suffering. It's another part that people forget about. Um, The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the comforter. He's going to come alongside. He's going to be with you. He says, I'll never leave or forsake you. So the pain, guys, the pain is very real, but also the comfort is very real. If we're really in tune to the Holy Spirit and what he's saying during these times of trials, the pain is real, yes. I'm not saying the pain goes away, but the comfort is real also. And sometimes you hear people in a trial and they'll just tell you how God is sustaining them. And other people are going through a trial and they're not, they're a little disconnected to what the Holy Spirit is trying to do and pieces of fruit of the Spirit and what God's trying to show them and show them the purpose and the perseverance, character, hope, a little disconnected and they're overwhelmed. But some understand this and and in the context of suffering, it's saying that we can take comfort because of the fact that we're never alone. To really think about the fact, a spiritual fact of life, that the believer never goes through a trial alone. That is not a statement that can be made to people outside the faith. People outside the faith do go through suffering alone. They may have friends, but they don't have a friend on the inside. They might have a friend on the outside, but they don't have a friend on the inside. Specifically the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. This is really cool, guys, because... It's a missing piece in so many people's lives. They think they're independent. They think they're getting by. They think they're doing their thing. They think they, you know, whatever they're exercising in the faith or their worldview, the fact is when they go through suffering, they're going through it solo. And that is a painful way to go through life. You weren't designed to go through suffering solo. You know that? We were designed to go through suffering with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the context that this is saying. There is a big missing piece in the lives of people that are going through suffering alone when they can actually be going through it with the comforter. Third point this morning is exactly that. The missing piece that some people have, the big missing piece, it's the missing piece of never going through suffering alone. It's a missing piece because they do go through suffering alone and they weren't designed to. It's the missing piece of of not going through it with the Holy Spirit, with the Comforter, which doesn't have to be that way. These are all missing pieces in the passage 
that the Lord is presenting to us and providing to us that if we recognize them and discover them, that we too will be a little bit more complete in the big picture of God's purpose and, and having passion to run the race for his glory with a completed picture, not missing a bunch of pieces. In fact, at the end today, I want to ask you, our prayer team is going to come up. When we talk about missing pieces in our life, the most important part, guys, is discovery, is discovery. There's people who go through their life missing pieces. They're not identifying what the missing piece is, and they don't want to discover the missing piece. They just kind of keep running in their own direction. It's been said, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. And people will go through life on the same path without even identifying the missing pieces, without discovering them. Um, Some of them are coming up today. Maybe they've come up. Maybe you're thinking about some today. God is doing some great things in prayer around here. He really is. God has been answering some prayers. I want to encourage you today, if we're talking on these topics of missing pieces, come forward for prayer. Our prayer team wants to pray with you. And God is doing some radical areas of restoration, revelation in these areas of of prayer. So I just want to encourage you early on. Um, The passage moves on, verse 6. And it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a pretty profound statement. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. When I was a little kid in New York City, I remember uh, summer times were kind of rough. If you didn't have something to do in the summertime, you ended up getting in trouble. That's just the way New York was. There was nothing to do, so you get in trouble. Uh, one day, I remember walking home, and I, and I saw this uh, Protestant church. We went to the Catholic church. There was a, a Protestant church, and it had like a summer program for kids. I'm thinking, that's cool. They got juice and cookies over there, and the kids get to do some stuff. I was little, like seven years old. And I, I told my parents, hey, I want to go to this thing they have. And looking back now, it was like a VBS type of thing. Now, I don't remember ever going to one of these except for back then. And I remember each week they were teaching the kids something. Well, I didn't remember this, but my mother reminded me a couple of years ago of something that I came home with when I went there. And it was this statement, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I came home with a little chip on my shoulder going, how could Jesus die for my sins? I wasn't even born yet. You know, this is my attitude, little New Yorker, you know. I don't recall at a young age hearing the gospel purely, just straightforward, the pure gospel. I didn't really know back then. I I understood some prayers and some form of religion, but I didn't hear the simple, pure gospel. So when I heard this, I said, how could Jesus die for my sins? I wasn't even born yet. I've come to learn that the reality is he paid for them in advance. That's how he paid for your sins and in mine. And the reality is, some folks don't discover that. Like me, like that little kid, going, how could he die for my sins? And you kind of reject it and you move on. Without realizing, he paid for it in advance. The reality is, if we discover what he did, and we receive what he did, then we get in on all the rest. But sometimes we're like that little kid. How could it happen for me? And we reject it and move on. That's what I did. Don't make that same mistake. Um, Moves on in verse 9, and it says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? 
Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So here's the deal. We know that through the death of Jesus Christ, what he did for us, the atonement, we're justified, we're saved. That's very cool. This is what some folks don't really understand. We're not only saved, guys. Saved is great. We are reconciled. And there's a difference between being saved and being reconciled. Some get the first part and don't get the second part. Being saved, imagine this. Imagine your father says to you, you did something really bad, and your father says, okay, you deserve a major punishment, but I'm not going to punish you. I mean, that's cool, right? Not getting the punishment you deserve. That's, that's cool. That's being saved. But that's not being reconciled. Being reconciled is, yeah, you're not getting the punishment you deserve, but come on over here. I love you like you have no idea and I can't wait to put my arms around you and hold you and, and just love you and pour out in you. Big difference between being saved and reconciled. Reconciled is the relationship is put back to its original condition. That is huge, guys. Things are restored. That's a big difference. And in your understanding of God, if you go before the throne of grace and you just look at him as the one who has forgiven you and taken your penalty away, that's a good start. But the reality is so much more than that. It's motivated by his love because we are a reconciled people. We are a restored people. And that puts, listen to this, it puts the relationship with God back like it was before the fall. You think of Adam and Eve, and we're going to talk more about them next week, but you think of the relationship where they can commune and talk with God. After the fall, we don't see that relationship anymore. In the history of the faith, we don't see it like that because of sin and trying to atone for sins and everything. But after what Jesus did, we've been reconciled. In the Old Testament, you don't hear the terminology that the nation of Israel has been reconciled with God. You don't hear that terminology in the Old Testament. Because it didn't exist. They were trying to walk right. They'd fall short. They would do an atonement, a sacrifice. They'd fall short again. There wasn't a widespread reconciliation for the people. But through what Jesus did, it's a wide open reconciliation. Totally changes the relationship between the parties. You're no longer just forgiven. Your relationship with the Father is restored. And He's a loving Father. And and it's just an amazing snapshot. Some people don't get that. Um, this tells us in verse 11 also, it reminds us to rejoice. It says rejoice three times in this passage. And I got to say this because there's a missing piece in the lives of some folks. And it's this missing piece of rejoicing. This is telling us to rejoice in our hope, rejoice in our suffering, and rejoice in God. Three things. It's saying rejoice over and over and over again. Rejoicing, it's an expression of joy. It's an expression of Uh, that comes out of us, an outflow that comes out of us. But nowhere in the Bible is rejoice based on circumstance. This is important. Because many of us say, give me something to rejoice about and I'll rejoice, right? Give me something to be happy about and I'll rejoice. Not in the Word of God. In fact, Paul and Silas are in prison. There's nothing to be happy about. A stinky, smelly dungeon. But they can still rejoice on their past being redeemed, their present God is with us, and he has a hope and a future for us, no matter how messed up this may seem. 
on that we can rejoice. And they start busting out a chorus in the middle of a stinky jail cell. And that jail, that prison guard, is probably, he's probably heard men screaming at night. He's heard men in pain. He's heard men breaking, big tough guys falling down, having nervous wrecks in that prison cell. But that prison guard never, I guarantee, never heard guys shouting out praises to the Most High God. Why is that? These guys learned how to rejoice. They understood what it was. They understood it wasn't based on circumstance. It was regardless of circumstance. This is a huge key in life. This is a big fact, guys. When you can discover this missing piece, I remember years ago, I was on the job as a mechanic, and I was having the worst situation with a bunch of stuff going on in life. But as a new believer, I was told about this. I was told about the choice of rejoicing, not the feeling of rejoicing. I was told about the principle, but I never walked it out and I never exercised it. And I remember, you know, I came to L.A. for guitar. I was playing clubs and stuff. So I had my guitar at work where if it got slow, I'd pick up and play my guitar. But I was going through so much pressure at the time, I figured, can I rejoice right now when I'm so overwhelmed? I mean, is it possible? The Bible says you can do it. Even though I didn't feel like doing it. And I remember going into this stairwell where nobody was, like an emergency stairwell. I went back. I needed it. It was an emergency for me. <laughs> I went back there with my guitar and go, here goes. And I just started to shout out some praises to God. Not because I felt like it, guys. My circumstances were a contradiction to praising, you would think, in the natural. But can I tell you something? When I started to rejoice, when I started to praise Him, can I tell you, He changed my disposition. He, he changes ashes for beauty. Weeping may come for the night, but rejoice cometh in the morning. Rejoice cometh in the morning. There is a reality of praising God no matter what you feel or what you think, just because he deserves the glory, what he's done and what your future is, to praise him in your present. That takes some big faith. But when you do it, guys, not because you feel like it and not because your circumstances are outstanding, just because it's the right thing to do, this is an enormous key in the lives of some people, an enormous missing piece of the puzzle. They don't understand it. They don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Well, why would you ever rejoice when you're feeling like that? God must be ignoring you right now. Look at your life. We start sounding just like Job's friends. You right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, obviously you've got a sin in your life. You just need to confess it. You know, it's got to, apparently it's something. You know, God left you at the doorstep for a reason. You know, we got all this. Rah, rah, rah. No. What about getting right before God and praising him? Be transparent before him. If there's something to confess, confess it. But rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's why it's saying it so many times. That's why it's a missing piece of the puzzle. It was for me in my life. It was a missing piece of the puzzle. As a newer believer, you know, it took me a while. I saw people praising. I, by the way, this is what we do in praise and worship. We come in in the morning. Do you come to church on time to rejoice and praise Him? Or do you maybe come late because you don't really feel like it? Again, rejoice is a, it's a choice, guys. Rejoicing is not a feeling. And if you think rejoicing is a feeling, you've got to rethink it based on the word. Look at Paul and Silas. It wasn't a feeling. They weren't in the prison going, this is awesome. This rocks. You know, I can't wait. Let's just praise them right now. I'm so happy about this. No. They're like, this is lame. But God's on the throne. And he's not leaving us as well. He's going to see us through this, Silas. Paul's probably telling him, Silas, don't you know tomorrow doesn't look like this. Let's start praising him now for it. And that's what they did. It was a missing piece for me. I began to learn how to rejoice in some things, become a worshiper. I want to ask you, do you rejoice? Is that your nature? Is that a missing piece 
in your life. It was for me. It took me a while to discover what that was and, and to learn to become a worshiper, to praise him in all circumstances. It's hard to do, guys. We all fall short, but there's a reality that when you learn to praise him, regardless of circumstances, radical stuff happens. Uh, fourth point this morning, because this is a missing piece of the puzzle for many. Uh, the missing piece of the power of praise. The power of praise, the power of rejoicing, has more power than you may know. And uh, if, you, if you praise him a lot, if you're the person that by nature you praise him whether you feel like it or not, you understand what I'm talking about. Uh, and if you don't, then this is a missing piece. Uh, we want to find time after spending some time in God's word for God to minister to our hearts. Because if we just hear things and we go, that's intriguing or that was insightful, but we don't have time to do business with God, we kind of miss the whole point. The reason we get together on a Sunday, guys, is to meet with God. We want to meet with God. We don't want to just talk about God. We want to meet with Him. These are some of the ways we meet with the living God. We have access. We have access. Let's start using the access we have. We're going to be closing in prayer. Our prayer team is going to come up and want to pray for you for any missing pieces of a puzzle in your life as the Lord leads, whatever He's showing you. The last thing this says, just as we close out, it says... That when we were still powerless, Christ did something powerful. While we were powerless, Christ did something powerful. Uh, Not only is that the case on the cross when we were powerless, God did something powerful. But it's the same today, guys. When you and I realize that we are powerless, when we realize that in situations, that sets it up for God to do something powerful. And I say that because a lot of folks, too, they hold on and they try to control the wheel and I'm, I'm going to get through this thing and sometimes you got to go God I'm, I'm powerless over this situation <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from I don't know where the answer is coming from I don't I don't know God I'm trying I don't know God I'm powerless bingo that's the right disposition for God Almighty while we were still powerless Christ did something powerful it's the same today guys it says at just the right time we might be going through a trial God's trying to develop character, perseverance, and hope in our lives. And we got to admit that we're powerless in certain things. But at just the right time, God shows his love. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.